This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. There's a story about Martin Luther that is most likely not true, but it's a story that you've probably heard. A cobbler, a shoemaker, comes up to Martin Luther and says, Sir, I've just become a Christian. What am I to do now? And Martin Luther responds, The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. That sits really well with our modern view of vocation, but it's not what Martin Luther thought, much less something he would say. When asked about vocation, Luther probably would have said something like, A Christian cobbler should make shoes because his neighbor needs shoes. Welcome to Christianese. I'm your host, Drew Fitzgerald, and today we're talking about Christian or faith-based movies. Let's go out to the movies where all of the stars are on view. We'll cheer the handsome young hero who knocks villains out with a blow. The popcorn's just fried and we'll have a great night, so let's go out to a show. There really is nothing like going to the movies. Some of us can remember the first time we ever went to a theater to see a movie. And all of us have some sort of memory in a theater being blown away by the story that we were watching. Movies are personally and culturally significant. And after a summer where none of us went to go see a movie, maybe for the first time in as long as we can remember, I thought I would take a deep dive into Christian movies, or more accurately, faith-based movies. And yes, I could hear your eyes rolling when I said that. Because for most of us, Christian movies aren't exciting. Just the opposite. Christian movies are disappointing. We tend to have this idea that if there is a movie that is a quote-unquote Christian movie, that it is necessarily going to be bad. And in a lot of cases, that's an earned stereotype. I mean, just try to go watch the trailer for Christian Mingle, the movie, without cringing. I'm Paul. Gwyneth Hayden. This is weird. Isn't it? <laughs> it's a weird way to meet somebody. It's a very strange new world. But the stuff between never really changes. Family, joy, our love for the Lord. I mean, I don't know. I just watched it again. Maybe I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I, I might. Uh, no, I'm not going to. It would be so easy just to sit around and talk about how bad Christian movies are and all of that, but it's really a tired and worn out road. And that kind of cynicism really doesn't get us anywhere. So this episode really isn't going to be about why Christian movies are so bad. I think it's much more interesting to try to understand why evangelical Christians are making the kinds of movies that we're making. Because the sorts of movies that evangelical Christians are putting out for other evangelical Christians are not at all like the other movies we see in the theater. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's start with a simple question. Are Christians storytellers? The answer is a resounding yes. No surprise there, that's not really anything special. 
all people are storytellers. Every culture throughout history has stories that describe who they are and how they came to be. The Bible itself is in large part a collection of stories. Christians are, like everybody else, creative. Throughout Western history, you can find Christian influence in every single art form that there is. And film is no different. All the way back in 1680, a German Jesuit priest named Athanasius Kircher wrote a book called Ars Magna Lucis et Umbrae, which encouraged the church to use a device called the Magic Lantern to both teach and spread the gospel. Christian adoption of technology in the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, well, let's just say in general hasn't been great, but when it came to movies, Christians were into it, especially when it came to Hollywood. The good people in Hollywood CA have been making explicitly Christian movies since it was founded. And these weren't peripheral movies. These were movies directed by legends like Frank Capra and Cecil B. DeMille. Movies that won Academy Awards in every single category. Movies that today are still seen as some of the best films ever made. There's a long list of movies with explicitly Christian themes and characters from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. But the 1950s, man, Christian movies were on a different level in the 1950s. It started with 1951's Quo Vetus, a sprawling epic, one of the most expensive movies ever made at the time. And yes, there's huge set pieces and romance, but the movie is really about Peter's time in Rome and what it was like to be a Christian under Nero's rule. In fact, in the middle of the movie, when Nero is about to feed Christians to lions in the Colosseum, Peter shows up and declares Christ. Peter is eventually taken into custody, and we see him crucified in a movie in 1951. But at the end of the movie, the main characters escape Nero's rule, leave Rome after it's burnt to the ground, and there on the side of the road see Peter's staff, a shepherd's crook that has sprouted blossoming flowers. And a choir sings. Quo Vetus was the top grossing film of 1951. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards, and it ended with a choir singing, Lord, how can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Turn your eyes and your hearts to the Lord. Like, that's wild to even think about. But it was just the beginning. In 1956, another sprawling Christian epic hit the screens. There was a time when the cinema was a place of spectacle and wonder when unforgettable films played on gigantic screens that overwhelmed the imagination. Now that time has come again. Behold his mighty hands! Paramount Pictures proudly presents Cecil B. DeMille's 
the Ten Commandments. It was, as promised, enormous. The biggest gripe the critics had with the Ten Commandments was that it didn't follow the biblical narrative of Exodus closely enough. But the movie was an enormous commercial and critical success. It garnered seven Academy Award nominations, including one for Best Picture, and won the Academy Award for Best Special Effects. On top of that, it raked in $122 million in 1956 bucks. That equates to about $1.17 billion today. As successful as the Ten Commandments was, it was just a preamble for 1959's Ben-Hur. Generation after generation of readers have been thrilled by Ben-Hur. No book save the Bible has ever been so widely read. Now, as a motion picture, Ben-Hur has inspired enthusiastic acclaim in every corner of the earth. William Wyler's Ben-Hur is still considered one of the best movies ever made. If you've never seen it, you absolutely need to have a movie night to watch Ben-Hur. The chariot race scene is, and I will die on this hill, the best action sequence in any movie ever made. Audiences loved Ben-Hur. It took in $146.9 million at the box office. Factoring for inflation, that's $1.7 billion today, $200 million more than the first Avengers. Then, Ben-Hur went on to win an unprecedented 11 Academy Awards, a record that has never been broken, but has been tied twice, once by Titanic and once by Lord of the Rings' Return of the King. And in this movie, one of the most successful and influential movies of all time the main character repeatedly runs into Jesus. And at the climax of the movie, Ben-Hur watches as Jesus is crucified. He gave me water and a heart to live. What has he done to merit this? He has taken the world of our sins onto himself. For this cause, he came into the world. For this death. And this beginning. Ah, it's so good. I don't want to ruin it for you, but ah, you've got to go see Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, the Ten Commandments, Quo Vadis, the 1950s were a real high water point for explicitly Christian movies. But when Christian audiences think of Quo Vadis, the Ten Commandments, and Ben-Hur, they often aren't thinking about how great it was that movies like that have been made. Instead, Christian audiences, particularly more conservative evangelical audiences, feel like the lack of those films in today's cinema is proof of Hollywood's rejection of Christianity and of Christians. I could go on a tirade here and list off all of the amazing Christian movies that have been made in the last 60 years, even amazing movies that have been made in the last year. But the issue with the frustrated Christian audiences is not that Christian movies aren't being made, it's that Christian movies aren't being made in the way that they want them to be made. To a degree, I understand that frustration. Recent biopics of outspoken Christians like Johnny Cash in Walk the Line, C.S. Lewis in Shadowlands, and Louis Zamperini in Unbroken 
dramatically downplayed the personal faith that those men had that helped them get through the events the films depict, leaving lots of Christians wondering why Hollywood wasn't telling the whole story. What is a little bit harder to understand is the necessary victimization a lot of conservative evangelicals feel when they walk through the aisles of Blockbuster or scroll through Netflix and don't see stories about them. When evangelicals in the 90s and early 2000s were frustrated by the state of Hollywood, they felt like Hollywood was either out to get them or had rejected them. And in a reaction to that frustration and feelings of victimization, evangelicals fought back. Individuals and indie studios outside of Hollywood started to make faith-based films. And when I say faith-based, I mean capital F, capital B, faith-based. This is a clearly defined marketing category for film distribution. When an audience hears that a movie is going to be faith-based, it doesn't mean that it's going to have qualities of any faith in general. It means that a movie is going to clearly express conservative, evangelical, political, and religious beliefs. Faith-based is another way to tell evangelical Christians that a movie is Christian enough. And in this movie, they're gonna see people that look like them explicitly repeat their inwardly held beliefs to them from the screen they will hear a clear gospel presentation. There will be blocks of dialogue that cite scripture and explain why prayer works. The movie will be comfortable, affirming, easy to watch, encouraging, and safe for the whole family. Faith-based films give Christians who feel ostracized by popular culture a message that they can agree with. The goal, in other words, isn't just to make a movie. The movie is only the vehicle for achieving the goal. The goal is to have media for us, and a message that we can use to engage and convert secular culture. In faith-based films, we aren't looking for more Tolkien's or Lewis's. We're not looking to create new and inventive cinematography. What we want is a message that supports our own opinions and disproves or even ridicules our opponents. This is why at the beginning of the podcast, I said faith-based films are not like the other movies you see in the theaters. They aren't focused on Christian storytelling. Christian storytelling may look a lot like Lord of the Rings, which doesn't have an explicit Jesus character, you're not going to hear any scripture, and you're not going to see an explicit gospel presentation. That's not the goal of faith-based films. The goal is to make conservative evangelical voices heard to fight back against secular Hollywood. The question with faith-based films is not, are these good, or why are all of these movies bad? The question is, are they successful in achieving their goals? Are they beating Hollywood? Are they changing the scene? No pun intended. Actually, you know what? Pun intended. You've just witnessed an intentional pun. Faith-based films are really successful in some ways, an absolute failures in others. Indie faith-based filmmakers have been really successful. Movies like Roadside Attractions I Can Only Imagine, Freestyle Releasing's God Is Not Dead, and Destination Films Facing the Giants have way outperformed expectations. Churches have been really excited about these movies and want them to run in theaters as long as possible. So often they'll take van loads of people to go see these movies and even buy out showings. 
While faith-based films do have an audience and are making evangelical voices heard, they aren't taking on Hollywood, not by a long shot. After the success of Mel Gibson's The Passion, major Hollywood studios, particularly Sony, Lionsgate, and Fox Studios, have started producing faith-based films. In fact, seven out of 10 of the top grossing faith-based films of all time, movies like War Room, The Star, Son of God, The Shack, have been produced by major Hollywood studios. Faith-based films aren't challenging Hollywood and changing the message, they're making Hollywood a profit. And some of those indie studios, the ones who were supposed to be taking on Hollywood, are now subsidiaries of those major studios. Roadside Attraction, the company that made I Can Only Imagine, is in part owned by Lionsgate. On the one hand, you could say, yes, faith-based films have been successful because now Hollywood is making them. On the other hand, faith-based films aren't changing Hollywood, they're just expanding its reach. So are faith-based films taking on Hollywood and changing our culture? Eh, not really. So maybe we're not taking on Hollywood, but these films are changing lives, right? We like to talk about how faith-based films are great tools for evangelism, but studies show that even the most successful faith-based films aren't very influential. The most successful faith-based film of all time is, not surprisingly, The Passion of the Christ. Marketing campaigns labeled The Passion of the Christ the, quote, greatest evangelistic tool of our era. And a 2004 Barna study found that 47% of the people who saw The Passion were not born-again Christians. But the same study found that less than one-tenth of one percent of the people who saw the film stated that they made a profession of faith or accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in reaction to the film's content. The Passion had an equally dismal impact on people's determination to engage in evangelism. Less than one-half of one percent of the audience said that they were motivated to be more active in sharing their faith in Christ as a result of having seen the movie. Think about that. The faith-based film that was billed as the greatest evangelistic tool of our era had a functionally non-existent, a statistically negligible effect on the spirituality of those who saw it. Even if one out of every 1,000 lives or every 10,000 lives were changed, that's better than nothing. And when we're talking about souls and their eternal trajectory, even one is worth celebrating. But I did a little bit more math based on average theater numbers to illustrate how unlikely it is that someone at your local theater would be converted through watching a faith-based film. The average theater has 200 seats. If a movie had five sold-out shows per day, it would take 10 days for a single theater to convert one person to Christianity with faith-based films. That just isn't achievable. Even movies like Avengers Endgame and the recent Star Wars movies didn't sell out five showings for 10 whole days. Maybe for one weekend, but not almost for two weeks. That scenario, five sold out shows per day for 10 days, is ideal, but not realistic. Average theater occupancy as of 2019 was hovering around 15%. So even in the biggest theater rooms, there's only about 30 people in there. So on average, it would take a local theater, not 10 days, but more than two months of five showings a day, 
with at least the average occupancy showing up to all five of those showings. But the average movie doesn't stay in a theater for two months with five showings a day. The average movie stays in a theater for two weeks with two to three showings a day. And the average faith-based film isn't in the 200-person theater. It's in the 40 to 50-person theater down the hall. I think you can see where this is going. But let's add something anecdotal on top of this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely is it that you and your friends would go see a faith-based film in theaters? On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely is it that your non-Christian friends would go see a faith-based film in theaters? These are not great evangelism tools. At best, we can only call faith-based films disappointing evangelistic tools. Again, evangelism through faith-based films is a great idea, but the way faith-based films are being made, it's just not working. While faith-based films have built an audience amongst evangelical Christians, they are not successful in their stated goals of taking on Hollywood, changing culture, and leading people to trust in Jesus. So what do we make of that? It seems like it can mean one of two things. Either faith-based films are failures and never reach the goals that they set up for themselves, or the real goal of faith-based films is not evangelism, taking on Hollywood, or changing culture. The real and unspoken goal of faith-based films is to comfort evangelical Christians who are struggling with the fact that their worldview is no longer the dominant worldview in America. It's the pop culture equivalent of a warm blanket, reminding them that somebody is still making movies like they made movies in the 1950s. Let's go back to that Martin Luther story at the beginning of this episode. Who is really the Christian shoemaker? Is it the one that puts little crosses on their shoes? Is it the one who makes excellent shoes because doing so glorifies God? Or is it the one who makes shoes because their neighbor needs shoes? According to faith-based films, the Christian shoemaker is the one who puts little crosses on their shoes. But all that does is tell everyone else that they're not allowed to wear those shoes. Those shoes are just for Christians. If we actually want our movies to change culture and to be tools for evangelism, we're going to have to start making excellent movies. The kinds of movies that your non-Christian friends are going to want to see with or without you. We need to make excellent movies because excellence glorifies God. But we also need to make movies from a Christian perspective because our world needs movies from a Christian perspective. 
Movies that aren't narrative sermons or present Christians as people who have it all together. If there's Christian characters, they need to be presented how we really are. Flawed, complex, people who don't have it all together. And if there's not explicitly Christian characters, telling stories that are unashamed of hope, of redemption, of truth. Stories that answer our culture's burning questions about identity, purpose, and value. And here's the good news. These movies are already being made. They may not fall into the faith-based category, but they're already out there, just waiting for you to watch them. Movies like Tree of Life, A Hidden Life, Peanut Butter Falcon, First Reform, Silence, Of Gods and Men, or major movie series that were inspired by and teach Christian ethics, like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. While it's highly unlikely that any single piece of media will totally alter the course of someone's life, movies are really good at creating empathy and starting conversations. But ultimately, we need to remember that culture doesn't change when Christian movies are in theaters. Theaters are a bad replacement for church, and production companies a bad way to outsource evangelism. Culture changes when you, an individual Christian, gets involved and engaged with the culture. Movies are just a tool to help you do that. This has been a production of FathomMag.com. To learn more about Fathom and to read some of the best Christian writing out there today, go to FathomMag.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.